to Psalm 34. We'll read a few verses there. And, and uh, remember last Sunday we had intended to read, get down through a whole bunch of these verses and we didn't get anywhere except the verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Let's start reading with verse 5. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Father, I want to thank you for this precious portion of thy word. Thank you for thy servant David. Thank you for inspiring him to write these words that thou hast preserved for us. The thoughts that are thoughts that we should have on the plane that we should be on thinking about the things of eternity and our great God. Oh, that our hearts were tuned to have these songs and these verses and these thoughts in our hearts and minds all the time. Lord, we ask you to give us a blessing as we talk about them. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Verse 5 says, They looked unto him and were lightened. Who did David have in mind there? Who looked unto him? He says, and their faces were not ashamed. Well, I can think of one that David was thinking about. If you want to turn to Exodus 34, he's thinking about David's face, how it shined when the Lord talked with him. Exodus 34, verse 33. Exodus 34, verse 33. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. I wonder if that's what David had mentioned to. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Well, maybe it wasn't, but we have another fellow who's not ashamed when he looked to Christ, and that's Job. Turn to Job 19.26. Job 19.26. You can't read this portion without starting at verse 23. So let's start at 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. 
And this is what David was saying over there. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. But Job finishes up by saying, Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This man, Job, knew that the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't only just coming, but he was coming again after he came the first time, when he's going to see him in the resurrection. He wasn't talking about him coming as a baby and coming as a suffering Savior. He's seeing him as a great and glorified God. Now let's turn to 1 John 3, 2 and see what John says about seeing the Lord. 1 John 3, 2. These are gracious scriptures. You all ought to remember all of them. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know what that would do to your face? It would make it light up. To know the Lord Jesus Christ, to see him, your face is going to shine too. And David said, And their faces were not ashamed. Now when we come to verse 6 in, in Psalm 34, this to me is one of the humblest and one of the greatest uh, utterances of David that, that's in the book of Psalms. Remember that David was, first of all, started out as a... Uh, a sheep herder watched his father's flocks, and then he his first um, uh, the first encounter that he had as far as being a representative of Israel was when he had to fight Goliath, and he did it on his own. He wasn't forced to do it at all. He starts out as a youngster, and then a, a famous youngster. He becomes. Uh, uh, the Lord had him picked out to be the one to be the king of Israel, even though Saul was king at the time. It's a humble beginning. He becomes king. He becomes very, very wealthy. He becomes uh, uh, sorrowful. Uh, what you reap, you sow. And David had a great sin, and so his family, and he suffered the rest of his life. It was never a happy family. It was never a happy life. But he was very wealthy and very powerful. But what does he say? This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. So you see, riches gathered, riches usable, has nothing at all to do with a person's spiritual condition. If the Lord blesses you with means, wonderful. It happens to be a cross for you. You've got to bear it like some people have to bear being uh, uh, on, on, a, on the suburbs of poverty. But David says, this poor man cried. Now, what did he cry? Well, he cried unto the Lord for mercy because time and time again in the Psalms we see David crying for mercy. 
over and over and over again, David wanted mercy. You think this sounds melancholy? You think this sounds like this poor fellow didn't know exactly what he needed or what he wanted? No, not at all. The hearts of all of God's people cry unto the Lord daily for mercy because of this wretched, miserable, sinful body and this old nature that we carry around in it. Except for the new nature, we would be of men most miserable, never had decent thought. So that's why he says he's poor. He's got this body of flesh and sin. He's got an evil nature, and he said even in sin he was conceived. As soon as he was brought forth, he was, uh, that's over there in Psalm 51, he speaks about his nativity, that there's no good thing in him. That's why he's poor. He's basically a poor, bankrupt sinner. But when you call upon the Lord, it's the only kind of people that can call upon the Lord, the only kind that will. And strangely enough, you get credit for everything you do, and yet the Lord does this work for you. He's the one who gives you the cry. He's the one who brings you down, gives you insight, gives you enlightenment into what you are and who you are by nature. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. You know, a lot of people don't think the Lord hears an individual. Oh, and maybe they'll think he'll hear Moses and Abraham and, and David, but how about me? I'm just a nothing. This is why we're preaching to you. We're telling you that the Lord God of Israel is the same Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners, and he's only interested in individuals. He's not interested in whole churches of people, the denominations. It's always a one-on-one -on -one proposition, you and the Lord. You think he won't hear you? Everything in this Bible confirms that he will hear you. Only your unbelief and only your presumptuous self-will self says that God won't hear. When all the while we're teaching you, showing you from all the scriptures that God does hear. David said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I want you to turn to Matthew 5, 3. When I say Matthew 5, what do you think of immediately? Beatitudes, right. The Beatitudes are great. When I was a boy, it was one of my favorite portions of Scripture because I just, well, for one thing, I had them on, on a piece of uh, calendar cloth, and it was so pretty, and it had to do with the Bible. But I never never could down deep in understand what was so great about being poor, about crying, about being meek, or any of these things. I could not understand this. But anyhow, turn to 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This explains David saying, this poor man, poor spiritually. You know why? We have to go to the bank every day to draw. You can't live day after day after day after day upon one spiritual calling, upon one spiritual blessing. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ day and night, hour by hour, if you want, moment by moment, but you need to draw from the bank. 
So you're poor until you draw. And then when that day is over, you're poor again and you need to draw again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, turn to Luke 4.18. When I say Luke 4.18, what should go into your mind? When you say Luke 4, well, that's when our Lord Jesus Christ was about to begin his ministry. He is unfolding to the world. He's unfolding to you and me right now the type of person, the type of human being that he was going to die for, that he was going to come to preach for. Now you say the churches were filled. There was a lot of very, very religious, humble folks in the Jewish church. They were the only folks on earth who had a true religion. So our Lord opens up his message. Verse 18. He's going to describe those who he was coming to die for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel, which shows you that there's an important factor in preaching. Who devised this way? Was this man's idea? No, this is God's idea about preaching. And then the fact that the Lord uses people to preach. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was a preacher. He said, He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. So if anybody was the chief of preachers, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is he preaching to? The church is full of people that come regularly, that come all the time, that keep their religion the best they can. They've been baptized and do every single good thing they can think of. Our Lord never mentions people like that. He never mentions the good folks that go to church. And why is that? Because he came to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind. What a motley group of people this is. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. Well, what happens once the poor hears the gospel? And this poor one who had a broken heart, that it was healed. And that this captive who is free, what happens then? Well, when they're delivered and they become part of Christ, yeah, they go to church. They're considered righteous people. But who considers them righteous? It's God the Father does that considering do you folks or do the folks that are brought out by the preaching of the gospel ever consider themselves anything more than redeemed sinners? You have to acknowledge yourself righteous because God's word says you are, but do you ever feel righteous in your own heart? Never. I don't think you ever feel righteous. You never get over understanding or believing, not believing, but understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you because you know what you are by nature. 
You know what you are by practice. You know what you are by conversation. How will you ever get over that in this life that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you? You can't. You're not capable of it. That's why another thing that goes along with redemption is a new body. When you get your new body, you'll begin to understand just a little bit better. And then you'll have eternity to finish finding out the great love that God had for sinners. Because a sinner always starts out as God's enemy. In rebellion and not liking anything about God's holiness or God's laws or rules or ways. Our Lord Jesus Christ has a special type of person on his heart that he loves. They're poor. They're brokenhearted. They're captives. They're blinded. They're bruised. And there's one more over in Revelation 3. Happens to say they're naked. They have no covering. I'm glad because I can fit in there just as naturally and easily as can be. If it had anything to do with being righteous, of keeping a righteousness, of being a decent person, or trying to keep the law and not offending, I'd be totally out of the game. That other scripture was Revelation 3.17. That's the, you don't have to turn there, but that's the one that adds naked. Now let me show you what happens to some of these people while the Lord's doing this awakening or this teaching. It's in Psalm 107, verse 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. And here it is in the Psalms describing a person at sea. Now, you don't have to be at sea in order to experience what's going to happen that we're going to read about. But being using the words concerning the sea will give you a visual picture of a spiritual happening in the life of God's people. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Now, just a moment. Did it ever occur to you? Do you ever stop to think that the very wind, like we had some great wind a few days ago, that the very wind is controlled by the Lord himself, no matter where it is on the face of the earth. It just doesn't happen because the air is warm and the ground is cold or the ground is warm and the air is cold. Our Lord's hand is in every breath of air. Now, when a person is at sea and they see these huge things and the ship is going up and down, the Lord could either leave it do that or calm it. It says here, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind. The great power of our God. 
Verse 26, they go down, <coughs> they mount up to heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. And the person whom the Holy Spirit is dealing with rises up and down. He's up and down. He thinks he knows. He thinks he doesn't. He wants to believe. He feels he can. Then he knows he can't. He wants to cry, but inside he don't want to, and yet he does. He wants to cry for mercy, and he knows he needs it, but he feels he's not worthy to even lift his head up as much as to heaven to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's up and down. He is a sight for his own sore eyes. In the meantime, everybody else around him is happy, carefree, going about. They're healthy as can be, and this guy wonders, what in the world is the matter with me that I should be so miserable? Verse 27, they reel to and fro, stagger like a drunken man, and at their wit's end, well, thank goodness, this happens. There's a time when you come to your wit's end because you're going to try to keep figuring it out and figuring it out until your wits quit figuring. When you come to your wit's end, there's going to be deliverance and there's going to be a sincere cry. When they come to their wits end, what happened? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. You want peace. You want peace with God and you want peace with your own conscience. How do you get peace with your conscience except you know that your sins are forgiven? To know that your sins are forgiven, you've got to know that your sins were paid for. And you've got to know the one who paid for them. So often we tell you, sins just aren't forgiven. Like the Catholic Church would tell you that the priest has the power to forgive sins. He can forgive your sins right on the spot. That's as big a lie out of hell as has ever been told on the face of this earth. And you and I have Catholic friends and relatives who believe this lie and they're living a life of a great lie. That's all. They have no hope to think that a priest can forgive their sins when we know that it took the blood of God to pay for our sins. It took the blood and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, to pay for my sins. But that blood was rich enough to pay for the sins of every single one of God's elect down through all the ages. That's how precious that blood is. And when people despise the blood, when they call this a bloody religion and say that this religion belongs to the Jews, it don't even belong to Gentiles, they have a demon spirit. They are presumptuous and self-willed and know nothing at all about spiritual matters, their own soul, about eternity, and they have no hope in this life or in the life to come. And I've told you week after week and time after time 
that this is a bloody book. Animals had to be sacrificed in the first beginnings to clothe Adam and Eve. Because of what? Because of their sin. All through the book and all through the thousands of years, animals were sacrificed for their blood as a, as a not to forgive sin, but to retain it put it in remission until the final one sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ offering his blood and his life for sinners. Now that's enough. That's the end. But it is a bloody religion. And when you and I talk about being saved or going to heaven, the basis of our salvation is blood. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of it. People that want a bloodless religion, want to do it their way, you can witness to them, be true to them, but they're in sad shape that despise blood. I'm not a bloody person. I don't even like to hunt. I don't like anything to do with blood. And I love animals. And I would hate to kill an animal for anything under the sun. But I do understand, according to the scriptures, that without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. None whatsoever. And God has made the rules, and we live by God's rules. And then when the Lord delivers you, you see how wonderful, what a wonderful, wonderful, simple plan that salvation is. We could have never dreamed it up. We'd have never done it. If you and I were God, we had complete control. And we had our reasoning like we have now. And there were some sinners out there that the book said had to be saved. And they were nasty people. They weren't nice at all. They didn't talk nice. They didn't behave nice. They threw rocks at your car threw garbage over your fence into your yard. They were totally nasty people. But the book said you had to save them. Would you plan a salvation that you had to give your life and blood for them? That the one that you cherished the most in your life, your beloved son, that you would have him to become a substitute for trash? You would not devise a plan of salvation like that, neither would I. But God did. God's plan of salvation is to save the poor, the wretched, the miserable, the blind, the captives, the enemy. What a marvelous, marvelous salvation. We have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and listen, <clears throat> there aren't very many people interested in it. Now, there's not many people have any idea what salvation is, or who it's for, or how it comes. But the churches are full. The churches are still full. Why isn't anybody talking about the Savior? Why isn't anybody talking about blood being shed for them? 
Why aren't they talking about the depraved, wicked, and hateful condition by nature? And then the Lord loving them and changing them. People don't talk like that, do they? Awful lot of people talk about God, talk about the Bible, going to church, young people's meetings, old people's meetings, youth camps. Send them to camp. That's a good way to get rid of the kids. Send them to a Bible camp somewhere. Let somebody else train them up. It's not part of our, <clears throat> our way, is it? The Lord is good to us. Any of you all that have any spiritual understanding at all, thank the Lord for it. Thank him day and night that you have a spiritual interest in your own soul. Because people just don't care about themselves. And then there's so many that are presumptuous and self-willed that think that they're perfectly all right and they've been lying to themselves all of their life. And somebody tells you that the Holy Spirit told them such and such, totally ridiculous because the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And he doesn't tell you anything else. And you know how he speaks to a person? Through the Word. You don't get any direct revelations from the Holy Spirit. Nobody does. It's through the Word. And when somebody hates this Word and doesn't use it, they have never talked with the Holy Spirit, know nothing about him, but they're certainly controlled by the Spirit, all right. They may be indwelt by as many as 2,000, like that maniac of Gadara who had 2,000 demon spirits that ran into 2,000 pigs that ran down and drowned them. 2,000. Just depends on how big the body is, how many spirits it'll hold, I guess. Well, let's get back to Psalm 34. We've got a couple more verses. This, this was great, though. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, here's another great thought coming up. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You know, we don't know that much about angels. Angels are capable of becoming visible and most generally, they are invisible. They are spirits. But they have the power to make themselves visible. And next week in our Bible class, when we study about Balaam, we're going to see that the angel of the Lord made himself visible to Balaam's ass, but he did not make himself available or visible, I mean, visible to Balaam. Balaam could not see the angel of the Lord. Yet this animal that he was riding on could see and he tried desperately to dodge to stop to fall down because the angel of the lord was holding a sword and he was going to kill balaam and this animal saved balaam's life but what thanks did he get for it balaam beat him three times this animal that he had for years that obeyed him perfectly all of his lifetime but when the angel made himself visible to Balaam and he saw, he fell down. He turned his little donkey right around and headed out the other way. 
Well, that's one of the things about angels. They are capable of making themselves invisible or visible. Now, we have in the scriptures the information about the number of angels. Not the exact number, but turn to Revelation 5.11. And I want you to see that there's an awful lot of angels. There are enough angels to fill every pulpit in the world if the Lord so meant that angels were to be ministers or preachers. And how heavenly, what a great message you should obtain if an angel was to preach. But look how many there are. Verse 11, Revelation 5, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. Now you see, the beast were just four in number. And the elders were tw 24 in number. So the rest were angels. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So there are so many angels that you couldn't even count them. But you don't know that by seeing them. You've never seen them. They're there. They exist. Now, what good do they do us? Well, actually... There to protect God's elect. <clears throat> Turn to Hebrews 1 and look at verses 13 and 14. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. We're reading 13 because we want to show you that they're talking about angels. To which of the angels said he at any time, sit at my right hand? until I make thine enemies thy footstool, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Remember that by nature we're children of wrath, even as others. But an angel is sent to watch over every single one of God's elect. Don't want to make you kind of ashamed what you do in secret or in private? Well, then it's an angel there observing everything you're doing. Protect you from getting killed in auto wrecks. Protect you at times maybe from poison or from one thing or another, a hunting accident. Oh, many people die. This morning's paper, this young kid just come out of a nightclub, which don't sound too good for him to be doing, but anyhow, that's the way of the world. And he didn't deserve to be murdered, but he just walked out in the parking lot. A couple guys wanted to rob him, and he was going to be a little <coughs> macho in front of his girlfriend because he had been a weightlifter, and he was going to protect himself, and he got shot and killed. No angel of the Lord there. You know what that means? That means he probably went to hell. Of course, parents wouldn't like to hear that. You're going to read about it in the paper. Well, let's face reality. It's what happens. But the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. How do you get to fear him? Well, it's because you're an elect soul. God lets you hear the message sometime in life. Sometime or other, you're going to hear the message, you're going to come, and the Lord's going to draw you. And therefore, you begin to fear him. 
But the angel of the Lord has been watching you since you were an infant. I'm glad there's a lot of them to go around. There's still some left in our time because I sure needed it. I can think of many times I was close to death and didn't realize it. And he delivereth them. I think we're going to run out of time, but I'm going to, we're going to read one story before we go concerning what you can see and what you can't see in the spiritual world. Turn to 2 Kings 6.17. 2 Kings 6.17. <coughs> Here was the prophet being totally surrounded by a vast army that they just knew that there was no way out. But that didn't bother Elisha. Elisha had spiritual eyes. Evidently, the Lord let him see things that other people didn't. So uh, it's in verses uh, 17, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. That's the eyes of his servant, because the guy was scared. Wait a minute, let's read 16. And he answered, fear not. Let's read 15. And when a servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servants said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And the servant, I know, couldn't understand it. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. The thing of it is, the spirit world that we can't behold, controlled by the Lord God himself, is for your and my protection. We're part of this spirit world because we're able to talk and commune with God spiritually. As Brother Hale's song says, he's only a prayer away. We commune with the great God of creation. The one who controls all these mighty, powerful angels. He's our God. And we're going to continue on next week with Psalm 34. There's still some more great verses in there. How nice it is to be able to just kind of relax and vacation in any portion of Scripture. And talk to you about our Lord Jesus Christ and blood redemption. The most important thing for any human being is to know the Lord Jesus Christ and know when they got to know him. Not a trip down the aisle, not a joining the church, but when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke peace to your heart. Let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you this morning for thy goodness, mercy to us, and this solemn hour thou gavest. Oh, bless the hearts of this people by learning more about the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Y'all.